Hello, everybody. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for listening. This is one of my favorite times of the week. It's Friday afternoon. I stop and get a coffee, and then I come over here, and we record. And, uh... You guys missed the best part, actually, because we talked before. <laughs> I know, we can't publish that, but yeah, it was good. because we use names, and, and we talk pretty uh, intimately, but um, yeah, you missed that part. But, so, Sober Sisters Talk is a podcast about MG and my experience as we kind of take our sobriety out for a drive. Um, it's easy to stay sober in a meeting when you're sitting there talking to your sponsor, but it's a little bit more challenging at work and family dating. Oh yeah. Husbands, partnerships, any, any of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Friendships, all of that. Marriages. So, um, we try to bring you our experience and, and, um, you know, just share it with you in hopes that I'll tell you this much. It keeps me sober. So. Amen. Amen. And the reason that I'm excited about today is today, May 17th, is my nine years of sobriety in SLAA. Which is a long time. Yay! It's like 27 years in AA. It's like, you know, <laughs> three, three times as Yes, fun. it is. It's, it's a, that withdrawal, you know? Yeah. And that, the that's pain what, of it. That's what just gives you the added oomph. Yes. And I mean, for me, it's like... I, when I was going through withdrawal, I didn't really know what it was. And there was uh, someone, I was going to Al-Anon also at that time, and there was someone there in my Al-Anon meeting that I just love. I still love this guy. I saw him recently. And, uh, and so I was like, hey, I need to talk to you about something that's going on. And I had started going into SLAA, and I had, you know, finally, like, kicked my qualifier out of my house. But I just was having these anxiety attacks where I just, I couldn't catch my breath. And I'll try to model it for the listeners where it was just like, I was like, (sighs) 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 and I just couldn't catch my breath and my heart would hurt and I would just, you know, and it would make me tearful. And it wasn't like an anxiety attack that I had heard of where you can't catch your breath. It was just this I wanted to take this deep, painful breath, and it was an anxiety attack, according to this person that I spoke with, and I I, I guess I just didn't, you know, I'd heard it in meetings, and I knew that emotionally I was going through withdrawal, but I really didn't know that there was such a strong physiological component, and he said, that's withdrawal, and I'm like... Oh my God, it's horrible. And then I remember sharing about it at a meeting and there was a a person, and I'm going to bleep this name out afterwards, but, and she was like, I can really identify. And that she said that that feeling of trying to catch your breath or to have a breath is because uh, we're, we're not breathing. We're not We're not uh, present in our bodies. We're trying to avoid that pain. And she talked about her withdrawal process of how she just would stand in the shower and just let the water just pour over her. And she would just cry through that. And I remember that. So, And later on in my actor training, we got training on the breath. And about how it's so critical to acting to, you know, take that deep, full breath 
and uh, it's like a, a revolutionary thing and I realized I it was and it was part of my spiritual journey about like um, my chakras learning about chakras and about um, the chest chakra the heart chakra and that was blocked and that was, that's why you couldn't get the breath and that's why I couldn't get the breath and that's why when I did take a breath it was this it hurts. It hurt, and it was like I had it's to squeezing. Yes, 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 yes. Ugh. What was your withdrawal experience like? Do you have any physiological remembrances? I I do. I remember. Um, I I remember this one time when I went. Well, I hadn't seen him for a long time, and he reached out to me, and I met him at an IHOP. Your qualifier. Yes, ah. and. Um, I left, it had been maybe, I don't know, like 30 days or six weeks or two months, something like that. But it had been a long time for me. And um, I got I got there and I knew the whole way there, the drive there, I was like starting to, my heart was starting to pound. And then when I got there, um, he was like, it was so stupid. Neither one of us ordered anything. He was on his phone the whole time. And I finally just got up and left. And I got in my car and I went the wrong way down a one-way street oh shit and um i pulled over and i thought because the whole time i was in there i was like thinking to myself i'm not high i'm not high and i pulled over and i was like i am high as shit you, you know? went down the wrong street you're like fucked up i was like fucked up fucked up yeah. and um so that's when i really started like you know I had, like I had said, I hadn't seen him for a long time. He had gotten fired, and I just really started to like, n- you know, stay away. Like I can't do anything. Like yeah, yeah. he was emailing me using uh, different email addresses, and so um, you know I had to recognize those and block them and just stop all. And the other thing I noticed, the physiological thing, is it wasn't. It was my head. I was um, running. I was training for a marathon. And I was running around Memorial, and I, every time his the thought would come into my head about him, I would go, God, keep me clean and sober. God, keep me clean. And I would get into this rhythm while I'm running. And then all of a sudden, I noticed it's back. And I was like, God, keep me clean and sober. And the, the whole time I'm running around, I had to do this. And I was like, I'm fucking nuts. Like, I need a lobotomy. I can't stop. It was like so involuntary. It was just like yeah. be running, and there I am again. Where is he? Yes, what is the he hamster doing? Wheel. I just talked about the hamster wheel. You're going nowhere fast. So yeah, those are the two that I that really stick out to me. And just I just what I did to remedy that, and I've folk, I've talked about this in here before, is um, what I wanted to feel like without those thoughts, like that feeling of waking up and going like. I didn't think about him yesterday. That's what I wanted. And then I wanted a couple of days and a week and a month. That, you know. Right. And to, and now the only time I really think about any of my past qualifiers is when I'm sharing a story like now. Exactly. Or, you know, every now and then I'll have like a, a fleeting thought. Or sometimes I'll have dreams. Like I often have dreams about like, you know, not my last qualifier, but, you know, the guy that I was in love with for seven years. I often have dreams about him. Because he was such a strong part of my life for such a long period of time. And then I get to think about, like, why am I having that dream? Because I believe in sort of the Jungian approach about they're an aspect of myself. 
what what is myself trying to say to what me? You, yeah. And so I usually spend a little bit of time thinking about the dream. And recently, the dream I had was where he was very tender towards me. And that like broke my heart because he was never engaged with me. I mean, he thought of me as a friend. He didn't ever love me. But in this dream, he was very tender and loving. And he was also, <laughs> I was taking him to the hospital because his wife, who's now, his now wife was in the hospital. And, uh, and he was very sweet and tender to me, but he had to go take some roses to her. And he was being tender and loving to her as well. And so, you know, because dreams are weird, you know, they don't make any sense. And so I feel like that's been sort of the gift of this sobriety. I mean, today is nine years. And what I get from having nine years of really of abstinence, of sobriety, of recovery, is an opportunity to just deepen my gentleness with myself, deepen my relationship with myself, I'm so grateful for all of these experiences. I'm going to get tearful now that I'm talking about it because it really has given me just a whole new life. I'm a whole new person. I feel like I am like nine years old. I'm this nine-year-old little girl out there in the world that has so many opportunities for discovery and growth and happiness and joy that I never had ever before this program. And I have to say I'm so proud of my sobriety and from drugs and alcohol even though I struggle with the naming of myself as an alcoholic because I realized that I just used that as a tool to get high and really to get me to my Mask primary up this stuff yes. right to my primary drug of choice right. and you know I remember in therapy group therapy they were like saying uh, you know line up your drugs of choices you know and, uh, you know, my first drug of choice would always be, you know, the guy of the hour or the, you know, my love obsession. And then it'd be a joint and then it'd be some cake and then it'd be a martini, you know. So, like, you know, I'd rather smoke pot than I would drink any kind of liquor. But um, all of it was a chance to just get me out of my relationship with myself. And so today I have such a strong relationship with myself and it continues. We continue to grow and learn things about ourselves. And I learn how to advocate for myself. I learn how to use my voice. Working with you, Elizabeth, has just been amazing. You've been so much a part of that journey and process for me. And you did it being tough and also sweet, unequivocal and compassionate, strong and tender all at the same time. So you're an amazing sponsor, and any woman that has had a chance to work with you, even though they might not like you every time. They don't. <laughs> I, know, I know that they're super grateful. Yeah, So, I know. you know, you have a part of Thank this you. success as well. I do, and I get to, like, experience it every time that we're together, you know, every time we talk. But I wanted to ask you before we move further into sobriety, what... You know, what were some of the tools, what what things worked for you to get you through that withdrawal? Yeah. So I, I went to a meeting almost every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was almost like I got to get to a meeting because if I don't, my head's going to explode. Like I'm going to like text them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to act out all these different things. I got to get to a meeting. It was like a meeting or nothing and therapy. Oh my God, therapy, therapy, therapy. I had an amazing therapist and 
I can remember it was like the longest week. Like I'd finished therapy and I would feel okay. Like I can do this. You know, I felt like he unscrewed my head. He dumped out all the marbles, you know, screwed my head back on right. And I was like, okay, I got this. And then not even, you know, an hour or two hours later, all of the strong emotions would come up around it. And I'd be like, I got to get to a meeting. I also remember you telling me to call five women a day in the program, and I would call like people outside of SLAA, you know, my strong support group, but I would call them all the time, and I would like stay focused on like being willing, you know, listening to what they had to say, following their suggestion, and you know, when I began doing the step work, it was like, I felt like I had to have a little bit of foundation under me in order to start the step work. So I can remember maybe, you know, I'd started the step work when I'd gotten sort of sober the first time. And then finally, when I, when I did the final one, which was September 23rd, 2009, and then I started working it with you, I'd already been in program for a couple of years. Right. Yeah. So I knew that seeing other women go through the work and do the work and and go through that process and be successful was like what, you know, encouraged me that I can do this work. And then, you know, like I said, because I had a therapist, I could work through that. So, you know, doing the deep introspection that this program, more so I think than AA did for me, was just vital. So... I think, yeah, finding your part and, you know, doing it is so important and being able to look within. I was very afraid of that, too. But I wanted to, because it sounds, I just wanted to mention something about, you know, following the advice of others. Do what, Be willing to do what other people tell you to do. Because it sounds like, I have told women to take long baths and to slough their skin. Because my therapist taught me that oxytocin is released from the skin-to-skin contact. And, um, you know, one day, I remember I was in this situation. I was in withdrawal, and I was like, how am I going to make it through the night? Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm going to start by taking a bath. And I did that. I had this salt and oil, and I, you know, I don't, I have no idea how long it took. I sloughed my skin, and then I washed it, and then I shaved my legs, and I did all that stuff. I washed my hair and was really conscious of massaging my head, you know, just taking everything really slowly. And then when I got out and I dried off, I lotioned my whole body. I put some Vaseline on my feet and then I lotioned my whole body. And then I gave myself a pedicure. And by the time I finished all of that, it was like three hours had passed by. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can eat and let, you know, and then go to bed and watch TV and I'll be okay. But it's just being willing to yeah. do what someone else tells you to do. Yeah. Such a big part of it. Well, and yoga was a big part of it as well. Because at that point, I was super skinny and I was in great shape. Uh, because, you know, my next to last qualifier wanted someone who was super slender. And so I did that. I became super slender. And that's not my natural weight. I feel like I'm probably like 20 pounds over my what I feel like would be a good weight for me right now. But I was, like, my weight right now, I'm 195. And so when I came into SLAA, I was 145. I was 50 pounds lighter. Wow. 
So what do you remember about me? Do you what do you remember seeing about me? I remember well you had really long hair. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I do remember, you know, your body was different. But it you know, that was so minor. Um I really remember more the um intensity of your shares and the intensity of your emotions. And um I do remember your willingness that but you had been through you know some stuff at that point and um you were with this whole there was a whole group of women that had all come in together and you know that other person that you had mentioned was one of them um and there was a few others um that you know I still have contact with and you guys had all come in together and they would be at every women's meetings because I think then there was probably still just the four women's meetings I think when so. you started like the Friday night and the two on Saturday morning Okay. Well, the Friday night's not a women's oh, was meeting. A that, was that was a co-ed. a co-ed. Yeah. So maybe we had started co-ed meetings by the time you right, got there. Right, right, right. So that's good. But I remember the Saturday morning there women's was a meeting. Sunday women's beginner. Yeah. yeah. And the Sunday, yes, and all of those. And that, But the same group of women would be at every one. And, um, I mean, it was just, it, it, for a while, it was really fun. You know? <laughs> it was fun, and there were so many women that were making so many like amazing like so much progress i mean and so we had this whole like crew you know yeah and it was uh a lot of fun and you know you did this thing you know on friday nights yeah where the girls gone go, wild girls in gone wild and you know you really and and my sponsee has kind of resurrected that a little bit where she invites people over to her house for a pool party. She she invented this thing called Friendsgiving, where people come over for Thanksgiving from women from the program to like celebrate each other. And she's been really pivotal in understanding that fellowship is like such an important part of it. And so, you know, my process of coming into this program allowed me the time and the space to really like turn around and look at my whole life up until that point and when I realized you know and and I say this to my sponsees when they work their steps especially a four step it's like when you realize your part in it and you realize everything that created you to be that person there's no way I could not have not come to this place and I'm so grateful that I had SLAA to be there for me. Right. Because I think of these poor people out in the world that, that don't, don't have, that that don't don't have know this about recovery. It. Oh, my God. And I think that it's part of my mission and part of me giving back is to do this podcast. That maybe somebody might come across it one day and say, huh, what is that all about? And maybe get into recovery around And it. maybe hear something about withdrawal and <laughs> yes. they're in it. So I wanted to talk a little, because one of the, my favorite parts of your story, and I hope it's okay if we talk about this, is when you left. And I was so, I just, I'm always so proud of you. I'm, I mean, it, it's just, I was listening to this video this morning, Marie Forleone talking to David Bach. And he wrote a book called The Latte Principle or something along those lines. And he's talking, telling this story about his, he's talking to his grandmother's grandmother's in bed dying and they're talking about regrets. And she said, you know, listen to me, I'm in this bed, I'm dying. I'm not going to get out of this bed. And the things that I regret are the things that I didn't do. 
the times that I didn't take the risk. And I don't want you to experience that. And he's crying while he's sharing this. And that's one of the things that you did. I mean, you sold your house, you sold everything, you got rid of all your stuff, and you went to New York. <laughs> yeah. So share a little bit yeah. about that, will you? Yeah. So, you know. And this is all post, like you've done the steps, yeah. and you've done the work, yeah. and you were like on the other side of your recovery. Right. I mean, I felt like a superwoman. I was like a badass. I felt like I was such a badass. And all, you know, doing that analysis where I did that, you know, 180 degree and looked at my past and looked at my life and through the program, I got to ask myself the question, what do I want? Because all my responses to these men are, what do they want? You know, do they want like a Harley Davidson? Do they want like new golf clubs? You know, do they want me to do a specific me sexual Me to be stuff? like this? Yes, they, exactly. Do, right. Mm-hmm. What do they want? Right. They want a skinny, compliant, beer-drinking, pot-smoking... I'll be it. Yeah, yeah let yeah. me try that. And so when I got the opportunity to say, what do I want? You know, there was this, like, young woman within me that wanted to act. And, and it came out of sort of like when... Uh, my second to last qualifier uh, was living at my house and it was clear he was in love with someone else and I was in so much pain and this was before this was uh, I'd started therapy and I'd started slaw but I needed something to do and so I just I googled Houston acting and this website came up that talked about, like, you know, it was called Theaterport. It's defunct now. But it was this great little website where people could post auditions, like plays that were going on, like coaches, different things. It was like this one-stop shop. And it was very active, and people would post their audition notices there. And so this was on a Sunday night, and there was an audition that Tuesday night at this place right by my house. And uh, I didn't even have a headshot or anything. I had a friend who was an architectural photographer from AA. And I, I said, hey, Mark. I said, listen, I, I need a headshot. Can you do a headshot for me? And he was like, sure, come over. And I, I, I need to find this headshot and send it to you because I am fucking crazy in this headshot. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. Like, like swirly eyes. Like out of my goddamn mind. <laughs> And I was like, all right, let's go with it. You know, it's not going to get any better. Because it was either this cuckoo crazy smiling face or just like abject misery. So I was like, all right, do it. And I went to that place and they were like saying, have you ever done any acting before? And I'm like, you know, like the roundup play, like little things, you know. And they were like, well, you're really good. And I'm like, all right. And so I got like a really plum role. And, but I, w- I was like, you know, if you, if I don't get cast, then I really want to just help with the production. Cause I was like willing to paint walls or yeah, do whatever. I need to, yeah. I need to get out of the house. Yes. Get involved in something that's like kind of all consuming, which acting can be, you know, just a hobby that takes up a time and then you're done and then you go on with your life. So, uh, but I got cast in a great role and it was as if God said to me, Thank you so much for turning away from that because this is where you need to be. And just God just like blessed me with roles and friendships and and characters and it was just like you know sense one of thing belonging. a sense of belonging, a fucked up community like actors. It's like such an amazing, you know, wonderful, inclusive 
cuckoo community. And, uh, and so it was like so amazing to me. And then I had a friend or, you know, a director say, you know, you're really, you know, quite good. If you really want to take it to the next level, you need to go study. And he was right, but, you know, I think he just wanted to ride to Chicago because that was where one of the, you know, things were. It's called Erda, where they have all these different grad schools come and audition. It's like a one-stop shop. You go audition for a bunch of people. And I chose the one in New York because that was the way to go. And I um, auditioned, and I didn't get accepted, but then they put me on a wait list, and then I did get accepted. And... You know, you helped me with kind of the law of attraction around this as well. I was learning more about that, and you were helping me. And it was like, you know, just imagine it. Imagine what it would be like. And so I started thinking, well, shit, I need to get rid of some shit in my house. I need to get ready and have a garage sale. And my friend James remember saying, me saying to him, I've got to have a garage sale because I'm going to New York. This is before they'd even accepted me. So I had a garage sale, and then this couple came, and they were buying something. I can't remember what it was. And they said, well, why are you why are you selling all this stuff? I said, oh, I'm moving to New York. And they were like, really, why? I said, I've been accepted into grad school. And it was a lie at that point. But I had to kind of try it on just to see how that felt. And, uh, and it was like, you know, uh, Esther Hicks talks about, like, the rockets of desire. Right. And then that rocket was like, I'm going to New York. I'm going to New York. I'm going to New York to to do this dream. And then when I did get accepted, it was like, yes, of course. Of course. Of course I knew it. I knew it. And I'd already kind of laid out some things, but of course I had to like sell my house in a minute or like rent it. I had to sell my car. I had to pack up all my stuff. I had to get rid of my stuff. I had to move. I had to find a place to live up there. And everything just fell into place like dominoes, like, you know, like just how it just was, was perfect. And, uh, you know, and I got there and, <laughs> but the challenge, and this is what I say to people that, you know, the challenges continue. I was so well, emotionally, mentally, physically, recovery wise, I was strong and I was good. And then I get into this acting school and I, I, one of my teachers was like, you're not, you're phoning it in. You're not, because we learned this you're specific not in method. There. Yeah. And I'm like, you mean I have to be in pain again? She goes, no, no, but you have to access that pain and you have to use that pain. So it was a learning process to figure out how to pull from that pain, which I've just done all this recovery. I'm like, are you I'm kidding not going me? back I'm there. I'm doing that, that. But it's essential to being truthful to your character to be able to pull that out. And it really wasn't until the end of my second year where I had another teacher help me with how to do that specific thing, to pull from that emotion and not let it overwhelm me. So thank you for talking about what you saw in terms of intensity of emotion because I feel like that's one of my greatest gifts as an actor to be able to have that deep well. And I'm so glad that I inspired you to go and do this thing because everybody was like saying, oh my God, you're so brave. And I was like, I was ready to jettison my old life. None of this has served me. But it had. I mean, I had a great job. I mean, the big the big message in my head was, how can you give up this really good corporate job that has great benefits, a pension? Who has pensions these days? 
And I had to do hardly anything. It was like the cakiest job I've ever had in my life, you know. I maybe worked, like I was there for eight hours, but I maybe worked maybe one, maybe two hours a day. So it was like such a cake job. But God gave me that job for a reason. God knew that I needed those uh, benefits to have a good therapist. God knew that I wasn't in any kind of fit spiritual condition to work. So he gave me a cake job where, you know, I was able to take care of myself, to have a beautiful home, to have a nice car. And, you know, and he didn't bring me to this work until I'd established a, a group of deep friendships with strong women, mostly in recovery, but strong women who loved the hell out of me that could support me. And this is outside of my recovery community. These are just like, you know, friendships that I'd made over the years. And I had this vision of myself when I was, um, you know, getting ready to go to New York and they were all, it was like they were all emotionally surrounding me and like having their arms holding me in the center so that wherever I, like if I would fall, somebody would push me up. And so it was just this, you know, supportive network of women that I knew that I was safe to go to do all this stuff. And so I let it go. It wasn't about bravery. It was about me rushing in to accept my life. And I was like thrilled to do it. And then as the universe does, you know, I accomplished that goal. And I began to try to do my deal in New York. And once again, law of attraction was like, you know, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And I wanted to come back to Houston. I wanted to come back to this recovery community. I wanted to come back to that circle of women that have always loved and supported me. I need that for my best self. And I have been happy to, you know, continue to do my acting. And it's not at the professional level that I dreamed or envisioned. And uh, that's okay. I have an agent. You know, I go out on auditions for that. And, you know, something may come from that one day. I'm not pessimistic. I'm not necessarily optimistic. And I and need to have continued help around Law of Attraction from you around that piece of it, but you know, I'm, I'm in just an amazing place. That's so awesome. I love that part of your story. So now, what's it like now? So now I'm just really, really clear about what my triggers are and my list, our listeners, you know, they heard me walk through fear about a, a couple month, of weeks ago, yeah, about a month ago, uh, around that. So, because I'm real, really uh, quite clear about what my triggers are, I know what I need to do around self care, especially like being sick earlier in the year, around resting and taking my vitamins, you know, top level behaviors. Now, I'm not worried about bottom line behaviors, I'm worried about top line behaviors. It's like what do I need to do to get to bed as quickly as possible? It's the best version of you. Right. Right now. Right. And I'm continuing. You know, I want to lose weight. I want to get my back in better shape. So I, I do have goals and I have dreams. But today, what I know, and this is what I just shared with one of my sponsees that I kind of, our relationship has had to end. And I'm like, I told her, I said, you've got to figure out what you need to be sober because what we were doing it wasn't it wasn't helping it, helping you so you know 
when I first got into recovery, you know, meetings, 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 as many meetings as I could. And I would go to an Al-Anon meeting. I would go to an AA meeting. I would go to a meeting. It doesn't matter. I would go to a meeting and get plugged into that recovery community. I don't need that so much now. You know, I love our meeting that today when we do our podcast. I love the meeting we go to in the morning. I love that meeting. Uh, there's other meetings I like to go to, the Thursday women's meeting, the 11 o'clock at Ava, over at Ava's. So, you know, there, there are some specific meetings that I really like to go to, but I'm sporadic with that. That's not what I need. I sponsor a lot. You know, when I first started, I didn't have any sponsees. And, you know, what I've learned now is that if I don't, if I'm not sponsoring at least three women, you'll give me one. So <laughs> I'm always real clear about that. So, you know, that's changed for me. Is like, you know, I'm not being mentored. I am mentoring. But I still continue to be mentored by you because you've continued your work. And I'm so grateful for you that you are still in the program and still mentoring and uh, being mentored and growing and learning. And, you know, you're, wi- you're willing to take a suggestion when someone says, do this. You know, it's like you might have a response, but, you know, you'll try it. No, it's very, very important. It's a very uh, integral part of recoveries to take the suggestion. And I wanted to share really quick that, you know, you and I talked a few weeks ago on the phone about sponsoring other people. And you'd brought up that story where Dr. Bob and Bill were talking about they'd been, this was before the big book was written. So they are in the midst of trying to figure out how to stay sober. And they've been sober for a while. And how to carry the message. And they're going into, they're going into hospitals to do this. They're going into hospitals, um, grabbing drunks out of you know, tanks, out of the you know, detox, and taking them home. They, they would actually bring these guys into their homes, only men, and sober them up and feed them and you know, try to get them working and all of that stuff. And they were at this point where they'd been doing that for a while and they were frustrated. And one of them says to the other, you know, none of these guys are staying sober. Staying sober. And the other guy says, but we are. Right. And it's, you know, that, it, that was taught to me from the beginning in AA. It is the tradition. It is how you sponsor and you help people. You carry the message for you, not for the person you're, te- you're helping. Right. Well, I think that that's the difference between short-term and long-term sobriety. You know, how do you, because every time I work with these women, I get to read about the step. I get to have a deeper understanding about the step. I get to see them and their growth and see what works for them. And if someone's struggling and I'm like, well, look at this woman over here. What is she what doing? What is she doing? Do yeah. what she's doing. Why don't you Call do what her. she's doing? Yeah. Ask her. Well, ask, ask her, her what worse. she's doing. Yeah. Let me tell you what she's doing. She's going to at least three meetings a week. She's going she's to talking individual to people every day. She's yes. doing family of origin work. She's done a, doing another group therapy work. She's working on her steps. You know, I, I can I can list like you know all these things that they're doing, and you know that they're reaching out and talking to other women, and they're staying sober, and they're kicking butt and taking names. And so it's like that's what works for her. And so I figured out what works for me now. Doesn't mean I don't have my triggers. Doesn't mean I don't have my challenges. Doesn't mean I don't have my dreams. But where I was when I first came into this program and where I am now are just light years. I mean, I remember when I moved to New York, I was going through my journals and reading my journals. And it was just so despondent and just all about, like, I created my own porn where I would, like, you know, I would come home from whatever it was 
and I would like write to journal about, it. about mm-hmm. it so I could go back later for you for recall. And I had to throw all those journals away. I had to burn them. I like got rid of them because I don't want anybody to find any of that stuff. And you know, it's a completely you know I don't I don't have any of those disgusting thoughts today. And when I say disgusting, it's not even about the sex. It's just no. About it's the longing and the yeah. desperation and yeah, right, right, all right. of that stuff. So it's been a great ride, everybody. And so for those of you out there who are in like mid-sobriety, maybe you've got two years, maybe four years, you're continuing to struggle. I'm like, continue to investigate. Figure out something else that you need to do to add to your program or maybe take away. You know, there's a lot of people sometimes in AA that they go to a lot of meetings, but they're not getting a lot out of it. And they have resentments towards people. They're like, rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, well, maybe you need to take a break from going to so many meetings. Maybe going to meetings isn't helpful. You got to find your own special mix. And that, you know, for me, what I always do that with step 12 is find your recipe, what what it is, what you need to do to keep you at that best version of yourself, the optimal. Right. And it changes. It evolves as time changes. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad you stayed sober. Me too. And it was because of you in no small part. So I thank you so much for that. And you kept me sober. Thank you. So people out there, find a good sponsor. Find someone to work with. Be a good sponsor. You got to do it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We have a website, www.SoberSistersTalk.com. You can find our all of our podcasts on that website, or you can find them also on our Facebook page, which is Sober Sisters Talk. And you can like our page and share there. If you don't want to share it publicly, you can go on and share it as a message. If you belong to a sober group, put us on your sober group. You know, it it just might help someone. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye-bye.